live in the glory of that. We're just deeply grateful. And with David, we, we pray to you and say, how precious is your steadfast love, O Lord. All the children of mankind um, take refuge under the shadow of your wings. Um, they feast on the abundance of your house, and you give us to drink from your rivers of delights. For you, O Lord, are a fountain of life. And yet that fountain came through the most precious sacrifice and outpouring of blood ever seen. And we just thank you so much for your deep, merciful, and gracious love for us. Help us to experience it each day, to know it each day, to be confident in it each day, to fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith, who is Jesus, and to know that he will never leave us nor forsake us, and to know that we stand secure in his love. So please feed our souls with your truth, not just our minds, but our minds and our hearts, our souls with your truth. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I was privileged to be a part of a conversation this, this last week, um, Thursday actually, I, I think it was Thursday, um, where I got to hear the firsthand eyewitness testimony of one of our local uh, elementary school principals. And she was uh, conveying to us the effectiveness of, you know, the little house we have out here on our property. For those of you who are new to our church, you probably don't know we run a tutoring center out of that little house four days a week from three to five. And um, she was conveying the effectiveness of that little house and the people from this congregation who show up there and minister to the children by helping them with their homework, loving on them, and then when giving oppor- given opportunity to share um, Jesus with them. Well, she, had, she, she, she said to us, and this is my paraphrase, that there was a marked difference in her students before the leaven started to now. In other words, people are changing, students are changing, lives are changing. Now, you've heard um, people up on this platform like Pete Gaudet and others uh, share other testimonies that are like that, of, of places where Christians have gone into to just show practical care for the needs of the community, like tutoring kids, and uh, showing up, loving people, and sharing Christ, and it changing the culture and the dynamic, the ethos of a, of a, of a, of a neighborhood, and um, you have to just stop and, and consider those testimonies from outsiders and realize and remind ourselves that this thing called Christianity lived out works. It, it works. That it really is powerful. It does change things. And that is a reminder to me that, you know what? Um, what we profess and what we sing, it really changes lives. When Christian people just show up, care, and then when given an opportunity to share their lives with other people, it does make a difference. And that's how God intended, I believe, his kingdom to expand. Um, Not only in our time, but from the beginning. This is how God's people have have advanced the kingdom, by simply showing up, loving, and speaking the truth. And um, I came across this statement, and it's from the 4th century, by a Roman emperor by the name of Julian about the power of Christian love. Um, The statement, as I said, made by uh, the Emperor Julian, was a statement made by a person who despised Christianity. In fact, he was one of the emperors post-Constantine who wanted to revive paganism and destroy Christianity. But he couldn't deny the fact that Christianity grew because of the practical love of the followers of Jesus. And the statement was was, uh, remarkable enough that I wanted to bring it to you Sorry, guys, I'll have to read it for you. Where the Roman emperor 
said, nothing has contributed to the progress of the superstition of the Christians. You can, he despises it. By the way, if you think that here in the 21st century we're the only ones that get bad press as Christians, it's been all along we've gotten bad press. We've been called atheists. We've been called cannibals because we partake of the blood and body of Christ and so forth. And this is no different. But you notice he says, that uh, nothing has contributed to the progress of the superstition of the Christians as their charity or love to strangers. The impious Galileans, i.e. Christians, provide not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. That is that these simple followers of Jesus, most of whom were people of modest means and slaves, took it upon themselves as people who received mercy from Christ to then give mercy to others, and they'd take care of the poor. Not just the poor who called themselves Christians, but the poor who called themselves pagans. And here's a testament by a, by a, by a pagan king who despised Christianity, saying that love is what made it work. Christians whose lives have been touched by grace, believing and following, living out their lives in simple care and... Um, and, care, and sharing their faith with other people. That's, that's how it works. And uh, it's good for us to remind ourselves at the beginning of a new year that, you know, this does work, and I want to see it work. And we as a church, we do that in primarily one of two ways, and usually it's both at the same time. On the one hand, we have corporate ways in which we as a whole church family commit ourselves to reaching out and caring for the needs of the community practically, and when given an opportunity, share our faith with people verbally. Um, We partner with great ministries like Mission Solano, which you know well about, um, to care for the needs of the, of the homeless. And then we partner with other churches around the community with, with uh, great organizations like uh, Alpha Resource Pregnancy Resource Center um, to care for the unborn and the mothers um, who are going to have children and mothers who have made uh, tragic mistakes and choices um, in deciding not to have children. Or um, up-and-coming ministries like the Leaven, which is really putting in churches' hands the ability to care for the practical needs of children educationally and then be able to show them love and, and share Jesus with them. And it's making a difference. And that's one way we as a church body can minister and see firsthand change is those corporate initiatives. And um, we should continue to pray and listen to the Holy Spirit and dream and then do things that God calls us to do as, as a corporate body. But not everybody in here or in the last service can be a part of those corporate um, ministries. Not everybody can show up at Mission Solano. Not everybody can show up between 3 and 5 at the Levin Center. Not everybody can be a volunteer at the Alpha Pregnancy Resource Center. That leads me to the other major way in which we can experience and see firsthand change in the community around us, and that is as individuals. As individuals. That where, I'm going to say true Christians, by true Christians I mean they have really been brought to life by the Holy Spirit and they have sensed and tasted grace of the Lord and they have received his love and therefore they want to pour it out to others. For those who are authentic, true Christians, where you impact, relate, and connect with people, I believe change will happen. It's not just a possibility, it will be a necessity. Um, In the same way that when you put salt on meat, it changes the flavor by necessity. When you put a light into a dark room, it it necessitates a change in mood and in ambiance. It will change where Christians interact and connect individually with people. Now, the Lord has scattered 
us as a family all throughout this community. We have believers from uh, Vacaville, living in Vacaville, to Cordelia from Green Valley all the way out to Walters Road and Lala Ranch all the way into Napa Valley. We have, we have family, individuals spread throughout the community. And I believe if we live out our lives where God has scattered us by his own good providence, just simply caring for the people that God puts in our contact, in our way, um, in our relationship, in our little circles of existence, in our little life context, that where we live that out, it will, it will change things. Thank you. Now, let me just um, backtrack into my own personal former view of, of reaching out. Now, I, as long as I can remember, I was in church from infancy up until 17, 18 years old. I had a bit, a bit of a hiatus from church in the, in the, I don't know, 19 and 20 years trying to figure myself out. But I, I knew from infancy, when I first understood English and I heard the pastor speak until the age of 17, 18, I knew that it was the personal responsibility of every Christian to reach out to the people in, in our lives. I think most who, who have grown up in the church know that, that we all have a personal responsibility to bear witness to Christ wherever he's placed us, in our communities, in our offices, uh, in our stores, our department stores, at the gas station, if you work at the gas station, or, or in your own um, neighborhoods. And I, I knew that. I knew that we all bore a personal responsibility for that, and I hope you share that with me. But I will also say that in those years, the way in which outreach and evangelism was modeled and packaged, quite honestly, did not motivate me to do it. Moreover, it seemed to me that the kind of way in which evangelism and outreach was portrayed and encouraged was often thin and detached, inauthentic, inorganic, um, a bit salesmanish. As if we took our cue on how to market Jesus from the guys who used to sell Hoover vacuum cleaners from door to door. If you accept Jesus into your heart, you too can have what's behind door number one, door number two, and door number three. And then if they said no, well, you just package up your package and you move on next. That seemed to me to be unauthentic and unmotivating. And um, oftentimes driven by guilt. Don't evangelize, well then, I mean, it's just the way it was constructed. This guilt people into reaching, speaking, going door to door, and, and handing out what's behind door number one, door number two, door number three. Now, I have thankfully grown in my faith and understanding of how I believe the Lord wants us to be both motivated and the primary method that He wants us to use in being God's agents of change. Um, in terms of the motive, I don't believe people should reach out to other people and speak and share the gospel out of a sense of guilt because that will almost invariably lead to a sense of self-righteousness or defeat. But I also discovered that, and largely through the ministry of, of guys like John Piper and so forth, that what we savor with our hearts, we naturally share with our lips. That... This is the way he puts it, that what we prize with our hearts, we praise with our lips. That's the simple logic of heart and speech. Uh, 
three or four weeks ago, I had a grandmother come up to me. She pulls me aside at the little kiosk out there, and she goes, check out the picture of my triplet grandchildren. You know, aren't they cute? And she just, she couldn't help but pull me and have me adore what she adores. She was testifying with her lips what she prizes, those little bundles of joy that she has as grandchildren. We know this. I, I don't have to prove this logic to you. I could go, if you, guys who like politics and politics, they really have a thing. All you got to do is reach over and say a name like Obama and boom, they just go off. Because they care so much. What you care about in your soul the most comes out. So in terms of motivation, where the soul is constantly taking in the goodness of God's grace and Jesus, what he's done for us and who he is for us now, who we are in him now, his Holy Spirit indwelling us, there is a sense where there's this like inner pressure to let it out whenever it comes, like a volcano, just waiting for the moment for a, an opening to come out. And then you want to uh, tell somebody about what you've experienced. So if there's a lack of motivation to testify to the goodness of Christ, then it's, I question one of two things. One, did you really ever taste it to begin with? And maybe you did taste it to begin with, but you've forgotten. And maybe the pearl of great price isn't that great anymore to you. In which case, it's a problem of the heart, not a problem of not doing something correctly. But to rekindle, and if that's where you're at, you're like, I have absolutely no motivation. I, I don't, I, grace of God is a dead concept to me. Well, you need to stop right now. Don't listen to another word I say and just stop and say, Lord, I'm so sorry that I have lost Jesus as the prize of my life and ask him to rekindle it. But when there is a proper motivation, namely the goodness of God that takes root and just uh, uh, bursts into flame in the heart, then there is, I believe, a, a method that is a bit more full-orbed, more holistic, more organic than just um, cold evangelism salesman-like kind of uh, sharing of one's faith. And that's where we come to this, this text in uh, 2 Corinthians uh, of Paul. And um, I want to read this for you. And, and in, in it, I think we find a, a, a broader, more natural um, holistic way of approaching change in the places God has placed us. Here's a text for you guys. You guys are going to have to read your Bibles. <laughs> and I'm actually, I'm going to back up to verse 17 of chapter 2 because uh, that's part of the, it's important for the context. Paul writes, he says, For we are not like so many peddlers, of God's word. Peddler is a salesman who wants to sell something for somebody else. It's easy to peddle God's word, the gospel, for something else. Recognition, profit. You see, we're not doing it for those reasons. We're not salesmen of the gospel. But he goes on to say, but as men of sincerity, it comes straight from the heart. Um, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Now, here are the key verses, chapter 3, 1 through 3. He asks the question, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? I'm going to stop right there and say, historically, what Paul is talking about here is, is uh, there were skeptics as to whether or not he was a true apostle. You know, the... the, the 
the 12 apostles, you know, Peter, James, John, and so forth, they walked with Jesus in his earthly, earthly ministry, and they watched him rise from the dead, or they at least were, um, they were witnesses of it. Paul's experience, he's like the 13th apostle, and he didn't go through that process. He did see the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, but he didn't fit in with the other 12. So some who didn't like his message or like him uh, cast doubt on whether he was a real apostle or not and the message of grace that he was preaching and teaching. And apparently there were naysayers about Paul's apostleship here in the, in the town or the church of Corinth. And so what he's doing here in chapter 3, 1 through 3, is basically he's defending his apostleship, that his message is real and that he has been appointed by God, not as a peddler, but as someone called by God. So let me back up and read that again. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? That is, letters of recommendation that I am an apostle, as if he needed an ordination license from, from Jerusalem, signed by Peter, James, and John, and the other apostles to say, yes, Paul is, in fact, an apostle. He doesn't appeal to that in his defense. What does he appeal to? Verse 2. You yourselves are our letter of recommendation. He's talking to the believers of the church. Written on our hearts to be known and read by all, and you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. What I want you to see is that he appeals in terms of the proof and defending and uh, the authenticity, the commendation of his apostleship and his message is the existence of the church itself and the fact that the Holy Spirit had changed their lives. The proof is in the pudding. He says, you're here. God has changed your life. That itself is, is enough letter of commendation that I need. It's flesh and blood that show forth the fact that I'm an apostle. Written on the hearts of men by the Holy Spirit. Notice it's not written on the lips, the hearts. That the proof of Paul's position as an apostle is basically that God has done something to change the DNA of the heart of his people. And there's enough of a demonstration that there's something different that you can read it and you can know that it's true. So historically, these three verses were basically a defense of Paul's apostleship. But... If you kind of principalize this and bring this into the 21st century, you realize the whole idea of our lives and our hearts being personal communications of the work of God's grace in Christ in our lives is pretty illuminating, I think. In other words, God designed us in our lives, from the heart, from the inside out, to be read and to be known. Now imagine if each of us had that mindset in our own lives, that wherever we are, wherever we've been scattered, wherever we meet with people and engage in relationship, that we're a personal letter written by the finger of God's Spirit from the inside out, and we are to be that living letter to be made known and read by the people around us which involves all of life, not just the lips. But when it says the Holy Spirit writes on the tablets of the heart, there's a change that starts on the inside and begins to penetrate all the rest of life and to see ourselves as 
letters personally written to the people that we come in contact with. Now, I think we can take it even a step further and connect this to a broader and deeper theme of how God spoke in Jesus. That when God wanted to send his saving message, ultimately, the final, fullest expression of who God is, his heart, and what he was going to do, it was not sent in ink and paper, parchment, or tablets of stone. But what does John 1.14 say? That the word became flesh and lived or dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. In other words, God communicated by writing himself into human form with eyes and ears and nose and touch with a particular tone quality and inflection to be with us in a very physical way. That's how God chose to reveal and express himself in the fullest way possible was to put his message in flesh, in human form. Now, Hebrews 1 says something similar, talking about how God uh, spoke in times past. Oh, did I lose? No, I didn't. Sorry, guys. I'm like, did that one go out too? He says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our our, our fathers by the prophets. But these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, that is, coming himself. Now, many have noticed that there's this this way in which God enfleshes, I, I hope that makes sense, that God's message takes on human form in human life. There's a parallel between how God has sent his son and now how the son sends us. That Jesus in the Gospel of John says, as the Father sent me, which is I am, flesh and blood, his message, that both teaches and shows forth the message, so send I you in the same way. In other words, it was by God's design for us not just to deliver a letter with our lips, but to be the letter with our lives. The whole life. So that people can see you and they see it, a representation, a manifestation, a, a real life flesh and blood expression of Jesus. Now, now, granted, we are not Jesus, but we are his body. And Paul tells us there's an organic connection between the head, Jesus, and the body, the arms and legs, so that we, in some physical way, represent him in this time and place. And you represent him in a physical, spiritual way wherever God has scattered you. But it's, it's holistic. It's not just the lips. It's the whole life. And people are supposed to see in you, in me, a personalized message and letter of God's grace to them. Again, we are imperfect, and we will be a dim reflection, but it's there nonetheless. If the Spirit of God has changed your life, it's there. Now, let me, um, what, what that brings to mind in terms of that, that way in which God has, has chosen by design to send his message, let me reverse it and uh, maybe bring some clarity, that if God had wanted to change the world and change hearts through ink and parchment, then he could have attached a bunch of big Bibles to a parachute, bunch of parachutes, and just dropped them all over the world. People pick up the Bibles and read them and go, bing, I'm changed. Now, I wouldn't say ever that God can't use a Gideon Bible in a hotel room with a guy by himself opening it up and coming to faith. But I don't believe that's the primary way or method that God has created and designed for his body to reach people. He could have 
shower down tracts to people. We would have saved a lot of money in missions if he had just done that. Um, He could have hardwired us all with routers and fiber optics if we were supposed to communicate primarily and reach people through texting, email, blogging, or Facebook. (laughs) Now, all of those have their rightful place, probably way too distracting, but... All of those forms of communication are thin, somewhat impersonal, and detached. Reminds me a bit of a a movie scene. Actually, it's a bunch of scenes. The movie, We Were Soldiers, setting Vietnam era. Um, Pans back and forth between the wives and the kids at home and the husbands and sons who are fighting the war in Vietnam under Lieutenant Colonel Howmore. And they pan back and forth. And and, um, in the scenes of home, once the battles begin and people start dying, there are these little yellow cabs that pull up in front of the homes with Western Union telegrams that are dropped off saying, your husband was killed. Now that is a a very impersonal, cold, and detached way of communicating news, especially tragic news. But there's, there's a scene where um, Lieutenant Colonel Hal Moore's wife, played by Madeline Stowe, decides this is wrong. So she takes the telegrams, her and a couple others, and she goes to the lady she has befriended and she's established relationships with, and she stands in the door, and she looks them square, face-to-face, eye-to-eye, and she's the one who conveys the message personally and there to grieve with the grieving. Now, the point of that is that I don't believe that God would have the world be changed by telegrams. But he meant for that message to be carried personally by flesh and blood people, face to face, with real voices, real ears, real imperfections, and to share with their life and their lips the realities that they've experienced in Christ and what he's done and what he continues to do. And that is, in my estimation, a far healthier way of reaching out. And that, the implications of that are, one, we, if we're going to be God's living letter, his book to the places that he has scattered us by his own providence, that means that we need to, among other things, work on establishing relationships, carrying authentic, meaningful relationships with people. By authentic, I use that word because... um, We don't need to pretend to be anybody else in our relationships with people, especially unbelievers. They see right through it, and it makes Christianity look plastic and flimsy. But just to be yourself. God created you to be a unique individual. You're at a particular stage in life. Be yourself and tell tell somebody in your own language, your own words, your own vocabulary, broken or unbroken, polished or unpolished, what God's done for you. Establish relationships with real people. And, um, and I know others can share this experience or this 
to wherever I have been in a place outside of church work where I have established meaningful, authentic relationships with people where they know that I genuinely care, I have never lacked for an opportunity to share with my lips. Let me say that again, but I'll put it for you. If you spend the time building relationships with the people who live around you, the people that that you play bunco with, um, the people you meet at the grocery store in little ways, build relationships, authentic, real, meaningful, caring relationships, I don't think you'll lack at some point in that relationship for an opportunity for what's inside to come outside. And then it's natural, and it's organic, and it seems far more sincere than accept Jesus in your heart and see what's behind door number one, two, and three. It also means that we take personal responsibility for the people that God's put in our our lives. Um, If you were to think of the three major places that you spend most of your time, Probably one of them's home, the other one's probably at work. Where's the third one? And more importantly, where in those three places where you spend most of your time are there the most unbelievers? And are you taking the time in your busyness, which is no excuse, to establish meaningful, authentic, caring relationships with those God has placed in your path? God did not make a mistake in his good providence in putting you where you live, in your apartment, whatever number it is, whatever street you live on, whatever neighborhood you live in, it's not by accident that you're there. You have been strategically placed. No matter how much you know or how little you know, how old you are in the faith or how little or young you are in the faith, you're already adequate by the Holy Spirit to be a letter, the letter to that community and those people that you represent Christ to. I know sometimes we want to think, well, if only God would put Billy Graham on my street, or Alistair Begg, R.C. Sproul. Listen, if God had wanted Billy Graham to be on your street, he would have put him there. But he didn't. He put you there. Because he's uniquely tailored, designed, customized your life to speak to the people he brings you in contact with. And just to be confident that, you know, I can be myself, build relationships, and if I'm, if I'm allowing God's grace to daily fill my life to know that I'm going to be given opportunity, they're going to see that God has written something in my heart, in my life, and then I'm going to have an opportunity to share it naturally based upon who God created me to be with my own vocabulary, my own way of speaking that's not insincere. So my whole point in all of this is be the book where God's planted you and and be the living letter, the whole of life in speech, but also in, in acts of care and relationship. And then watch as God starts to open hearts around you and do the miracle of, 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 of graciously bringing people to ask questions because it's an exciting place to be. So this week, next week, and the week after, different aspects of just being God's living, tangible, in-flesh letter to the people that you're around. Starts with just building caring relationships, though. Let me pray for us. Father, I am grateful that, um, that you came yourself, that you didn't.